This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Yes. I am so grateful for the opportunity to talk to you, and I am so grateful to Sheila Clem for so many reasons. Because I've told so many people, and I told the young women I met with before we came here this evening, that this book is a testament to the power of its, net, uh, of its thesis, that these networks are incredibly powerful. And it's through these networks that I met Sheila Clem, who has brightened my life, you know, both personally and professionally, and is the reason that I get to be here with you all today. So thank you so much, Sheila. So I am going to start by saying something kind of bold, which is that the next decade is going to see an explosion of female wealth and power. This is what's been keeping me up at night for three years. I literally have not been able to sleep for three years. And I said this to the other ladies too, I was not planning to write a book at this very moment in my life, but I started to find something. And I was convinced that something was changing in the world, and I wanted to know why. So stiletto networks, what are they? What do they do? How do they work? Stiletto networks are an underground movement of women's dinner groups and networking circles. I have found these groups in every major American city, and globally too. Most of them have no more than 10 women, but in aggregate they number in the tens if not hundreds of thousands of women nationwide, all doing the same thing at the same moment in history and not realizing it. And a lot of the groups have funny names. They are the Babes in Boyland, and the Chicks in Charge, and the Vault, and Forced to Be, as in Reckoned With. And more controversially, they are also the Brazen Hussies, and the Power Bitches, and Sluts, Successful Ladies Under Tremendous Stress. <laughs> yeah, after one too many glasses of wine out at dinner, the ladies all decide to, you know, name their groups. But what was fascinating to me is that I have found these groups among women in all industries and in all age groups. So it's happening among senior executives, but it's also happening among aspiring millennials. And it's happening among moms launching businesses in their basements. And I have charted billions of dollars of transactions and corporate board seats attained and companies founded and funded all as a result of these little groups. All as a result of genuine female friendships, there is a massive money trail. But it's about friendship, so I tell everybody that it's a love story disguised as a business story. <laughs> but I'm not going to lead with the girly stuff here, because many of you are businesswomen or aspiring businesswomen. So women going out to dinner, well, that's not nationwide news. But you know what is nationwide news? Some of the things the women have done as a direct result of their stiletto networks. So what are some of those things? They've created the most downloaded app in the history of Warner Brothers. They've overseen the largest high-yield bond offering of 2010. They've joined the founding team of one of the fastest-growing startups in history and steered it toward a billion-dollar IPO. And they've launched the single most successful fundraising pilot in the history of the Red Cross, from women donors, no less all as a result of their stiletto networks. All of these women thought they were alone in assembling clusters of like-minded ladies to, sh to learn and share. In many cases, they just thought they were having dinner with their girlfriends. 
But the last couple years have seen an explosion of these groups, all of these groups of women in their little groups of 10, thinking they're just changing one another's, li one another's lives, rather, thinking they're changing maybe five lives. But when you multiply those connections and you look at what's happening in aggregate, what we have now is this global Venn diagram, all of these little interlocking circles, because the groups are meeting up. Women are hearing about other dinner groups. They're flying coast to coast to make introductions, to attend each other's events. And what we're looking at isn't just 10 people. We're looking at groups that are changing the foundations of business and politics and philanthropy. We're looking at groups of women who are really changing the world. So a lot of people ask, and this is kind of interesting and controversial, but how did I find this? Again, I didn't go looking for it. It, was, it started with a hunch and some keen visuals. So, a couple years ago, in November 2010, I attended a, a women's conference in California. I was reporting on it for the Times. And I walked into a room of 50 of some of the nation's most high-powered women, and I noticed immediately that they defied the age-old stereotypes of high-powered women in the workforce. And given my previous career, I'd worked in consulting and then in banking. Maybe I was a little more sensitive to this. I sort of knew that, you, that historically, there was really one vision of success, you know, that women often dressed like men to succeed. But I walked into this room of 50 of the nation's most high-powered women, and they weren't all wearing the blue and gray pinstripe suits of yesteryear, or what one woman in the book, you know, this is baby boom, for those of you who weren't born in the, like, weren't alive in the 80s, like, that's Diane Keaton. You know, she was called the Tiger Lady, and she worked at a fictional McKinsey. Um, Anyway, they weren't wearing what some woman in the book refers to as those dorky silk ties. <laughs> you know, they weren't wearing a sort of female version of a men's suit. Things were different. What I was witnessing were all of these women who were instead in chic shoes and hairstyles and dresses. Someone actually commented that she'd never seen so much long flowing hair in a boardroom. <laughs> So again, it started with a hunch and some keen visuals. Women look different. Why? Why is that? And then I watched the way these women were behaving. You know, I was sort of like, you know, I'm a journalist, right? And so I had my anthropologist hat on. I was like, I'm going to study the creatures in their native habitat. Like, how do the most successful women in the country operate? Well, in a quintessentially feminine way. The ones who knew each other were hugging, clasping hands, kissing each other on the cheek. You know, they were talking about business, absolutely. This was a professional environment. They were there to get things done for their companies. But they were also talking about their kids and their, you know, their home lives, their other interests. And here's where it gets controversial again. They were also, God forbid, using openers like, oh my God, what a beautiful bag, or like, what a beautiful orange wrap you have, or, you know, I love your shoes. I was witnessing women interacting in a very comfortable way, and I didn't remember seeing a lot of that or hearing a lot of that on a trading floor 10 years ago. I was seeing women who weren't worried that their femininity was going to undermine their effectiveness or their intelligence. In this environment, it was actually enhancing it. What I was witnessing was women feeling comfortable in their own skin, showing another woman by offering a compliment that she appreciated her sensibility. Just because 
They appreciated what was going on on the outside. It didn't mean they weren't interested in what was going on inside each other's heads. This was just the entry point to a more substantive relationship. This was a way in where guys might fall back on sports. This was our social currency. So I sat there looking around at this room and wondering, okay, what is allowing this to happen? Why are these women so successful and so comfortable in their own skin? How has the world changed? That's a change, right? You didn't see that 20 years ago. No matter how you feel about the picture, today's female leaders look different. So at this conference, I met a woman named Penny Hersher, who is a tech CEO in her early 50s. She's a wonderful human being. She's a woman in, tech, woman in tech before there were any women in tech. She, um, at that point, and right now actually, she's CEO of a company called First Rain. Then she was CEO of a, in the, early, in the late 90s, she was CEO of a company called Simplex Solutions. And she was, in a random conversation we were having, she mentioned her dinner group. And I said, who's in your dinner group? She said, well, I had one in the late 90s, and it was me and Meg Whitman when she was running eBay, and Joy Covey when Joy was CFO of Amazon, and Dana Evan when Dana was CFO of Verisign, and Gigi Brisson, the founder of Attractor Investment Management, and Kim Palazzi, who uh, was CEO of Marimba, and in the late 90s, it, for those of you who are around, were, they, was like the it girl uh, for women in tech. She was Time, one of Time Magazine's 25 most powerful people in the world. Not women, but people. I said, wow, <laughs> that's quite a group of hitters. <laughs> that's, that's fancy. How did you all find each other? And Penny kind of laughed and said, well, you know, when you're the only skirt in the room and another one walks in, you kind of notice. And then I start to ask more questions about her dinner group. Well, what did you all do when you get together? What did you talk about? How often did you meet? And she said, once a quarter. I said, once a quarter? For women in a C-suite? Like, I can't see my mother once a quarter. That, that means you're prioritizing this interaction. This is meaningful to you. You're busy. And I got to know Dana Evan, who's a C former CFO of VeriSign, through the book. And I was sort of batting around ideas with her, telling her, I think the world is changing because I'm seeing women who look different. And this is what I think it means. And Dana said, well, you'll laugh, but I'm going to send you something. She sent me her headshot from 2004 and her headshot from last year. Dana's in her mid-50s. There is a certain excitement and glamour that now comes along with women in power. I think women are realizing that we can bring our whole selves to the table for maximum impact. So I got back to New York, and then I heard about a dinner group in New York, and then I heard about one in Philadelphia, and I heard about one in Atlanta, and I heard about one in LA and Chicago, and when I heard about one in Anchorage, Alaska, then I knew I was really onto something. And what I found was that stiletto networks enable women to do what guys have done since time immemorial, which is to merge business and friendship and to capitalize on those connections in a really healthy, productive way. Women are now doing deals together, not for affirmative action or for some altruistic intent to lift up the gender, but because it is smart business with people we know and trust. 
For the first time in history, women are seeing a monetary return on time invested with our girlfriends. That's really exciting. And I would also, and it, but if that weren't exciting enough, I would also posit that stiletto networks are now a strategic advantage for women in the workplace. And I'll explain why. So when I started doing the research for this book, there were a couple things in my mind at the same time. On one hand, I was thinking about why so many of the groups I had found were cross-industry. You know, they brought together women from finance, media, tech, retail, consumer products, you name it. And I was also thinking about why, when I was witnessing what's essentially this like girly love story, you know, this story of female validation and support and friendship and money, where did all the stereotypes come from? Because we've all heard them. You know, the steamroller, the backstabber, you know, the boss who kept you down. She undermined my, you know, that horrible woman. So I, there were these competing things going on. And what I realized was that, you know, the fact that the groups were cross-industry and the fact that, you know, where those stereotypes came from, those were inextricably related. What I found was that going back 20 years or 10 years in some stalwart industries, there was really only room for one token woman at the top of any particular department, if not company, or entire industry. And so when women got to sort of be mid-career and other women started leaving for various reasons to raise kids, it got pretty lonely and hard for the one token woman, right? Because when there's only room for one, you can't really share information and resources with the gal in the office next to you if inevitably one of you is gonna get pushed out. And you can't shine a light on that talented, amazing young woman up-and-comer because she is inevitably going to knock you off your perch. For the token women, it was hard, and it was lonely, and they, t I mean, I, this book is really lets the narrative lead, and, they, and these women talk about really what it was like and some of their challenges. And some of their challenges seemed insurmountable. And so what I found was that a lot of the groups that, I f that went back 10 years or more, a lot of these women weren't intending to capitalize on their connections. They weren't trying to shake down other women, you know, what can I get from you? Or they were really trying to find friends. They were trying to find people who understood their unique business and personal needs. You know, I'm the only woman, you know, they're gonna make me partner, but I'm pregnant. There's no maternity leave, there's no policy, there's no precedent. But where we've evolved to is very interesting because we've evolved to a place where now the top women in media, know the top women in tech, know the top women in retail, know the top women in finance, they might not be in the same group of 10, but a lot of them have their own groups of 10. And they're, if they don't know each other well, they know each other one degree of separation. You know, in fact, there, there just haven't been that many of them. But we are now living in a world where no one can afford to stay stuck in a particular silo, oblivious to developments in other fields. We are in a world where industries are now linked and interrelated in ways we never could have imagined 10 years ago. Even huge global corporations, you know, the sort of trying to turn the Queen Elizabeth in a bathtub, are striving for global wide-ranging insight. Well, what's the way to get global wide-ranging insight? 
by having your best friends as subject matter experts completely and totally tapped in to these other fields. These women have helped each other make massive leaps. They are now doing strategic investments together, and they are launching new companies. I'll give you an example. Ten years ago, if you worked in tech and your best friend worked in retail, you never thought that you could start a new company together. But I talked to Susan Line, who is the former CEO and then chairman of Gilt Group. She's on the board of AOL. She's an amazing woman. She's in her early 60s. She had a very long and successful career in old media. She was in magazines, and then she, went to, she ran Martha Stewart Living Omni Media. Gilt was a little scrappy startup, you know, five years ago when she joined, seven years ago. This was a big risk for her to take in her career. She was working, she was used to working in big corporations that had budgets for things. Suddenly she found herself in this scrappy little startup. And what do you do in a resource-constrained environment when you try to partner? Gilt started out as a fashion flash sale site. Like, I know it because I don't have any time to shop. <laughs> and that's like, I point and click. Right? But it's now evolved to be an amalgam of tech. You know, media, it was retail, right? But now it's homeware, travel, you name it. Susan was drawing upon her stiletto network. She was mobilizing the women she knew to build this company. Well, Gilt Group was valued at a billion dollars recently. It's going to be a huge win for Susan and that founding team. But she built it by mobilizing her women. That's what stiletto networks are, and that's what these women do for each other. They're constantly trading favors. They're providing guidance, intel, introductions, insight, courage. They give each other courage. They give each other a kick in the pants when they need it. Get out there. You can do it. We're behind you. For women who want to launch their own companies and they're scared about leaving, they say, you know what? You're not alone. We're in this together. We're, we're going to rally around. We're going to help you find your first five clients. We'll get you through your first year. We're all in this together. If we multiply our connections, isn't it so much easier, not to mention a heck of a lot more fun, to do this together than apart? So, in the beginning I mentioned that there's going to be this explosion of female wealth and power. But the explosion would not occur if these were just, you know, a few senior executive women, you know, harnessing that power and using it just for each other. This is happening everywhere. Remember I mentioned these aspiring millennials? So we know that the senior executives are hanging out and they're moving a lot of money amongst themselves. But at the same time I started getting embedded and going to their dinner groups, I started, because I was in this space and having these open-ended conversations, I started getting invited to parties among 20 and 30-something young women. And they also had goofy names. They were like called Lady Business and the Calliope Group Breakfast. And what I realized is that many of them were young entrepreneurs. And that without even realizing it, what they were doing was mirroring their corporate elders. They too were gathering, you know, young women who worked in all these different fields and all these different sectors. And work was such an important part of their lives, particularly, you know, the women who were launching their own companies, they were turning to each other for advice. And I wrote an article on, you know, Fortune.com CNN Money a couple years ago saying that for these entrepreneurs, 
their informal interactions are increasingly function as de facto incubators for their businesses. These girls hang out, they're drinking till 3 a.m., they're acting wild, they're doing what normal 20-somethings do, but they're also talking about, oh my gosh, I've got to build my business, I've never managed a team like this before, I don't know enough HTML to manage my text team, how did you deal with this? Like, help me, give me your strategies. And they're also saying to each other, this is how I got funding, this is what I did, these are the five people I talked to, let me introduce you. They are introducing each other to funding sources, to venture capitalists, they're doing the same thing at the same moment in history as their elders. So you have all this money moving, this way and this way. But again, if this were happening in isolation or just in pockets, there wouldn't be this explosion of female wealth and power. So how is that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen because the generations are coming together. I'll give you an example. Alexa Von Tobel, some of you may know her, because she's kind of everywhere. Um, she founded a company called LearnVest. In uh, December 2009, she dropped out of Harvard Business School. She wrote an 80-page business plan. And this is, uh, the backstory on this is actually very interesting, particularly for you guys, because she said, she, I mean, she's a total dynamo and a brainiac. And she's like, I went to Harvard. now, And then she was at Morgan Stanley in derivatives. And then she was at business school, and she said, why is it, how is it possible that colleges don't teach personal finance, and I'm a young woman in charge of huge amounts of other people's money, and I have no idea how to manage my own. Like, none. How do, like, what do I do? Do I invest it? How? I'm making money, and I don't know what to do with it. No one ever taught me. And she said, gosh, if I have had the advantages that I've had and gone to these great schools, and I have zero clue what I'm doing, what are all the other women, the young women out there doing? She saw, based on a personal need, she saw a market need. So 80-page business in plan in hand, she moved to New York in the heat of a recession, 2009, to get funding. Well, wow, that's not easy. But Alexa is passionate, and she's excited, she has moxie. She gets introduced to Ann Kaplan through a variety of channels. Ann Kaplan is a pre-IPO partner at Goldman Sachs, so she's done really well. After Goldman, Anne founded uh, uh, what began as a think tank called Circle Wealth Financial for high net worth women to learn how to run their money like a business. You know, we can manage our money better. It's not just about saving for retirement. We can actually plan, you know, we can do that, but we can also plan for all other exciting events in our lives. We need to be thinking ahead. Anne also founded the Center for Female Financial Literacy at her alma mater. No one is more passionate about female financial literacy than Anne Kaplan. So these two women who are united by shared values, interests, turns out ethics. Anne not only invests money in Alexa's new venture, she spins her platinum Rolodex on Alexa's behalf. She introduces Alexa to her stiletto network and all of the guys she knows too, because there aren't that many pre-IPO female partners at Goldman Sachs. She introduces her friends who are lawyers, her friends in retail, you name it. And all of these other women then come to take an interest, and men, come to take an interest in Alexa Von Tobel. Alexa now has this board of advisors and investors, you know, that ri rivaled by very few. As a result of that sponsorship by Ann Kaplan, Ann took her under her wing, Alexa 
is now poised to succeed. I have found this pattern again and again and again. Behind so many successful women in the corporate realm and in the, you know, in the realm of entrepreneurship, behind them is some very senior corporate woman who has said, you remind me of me when I was that age. If I could come back in the next life, I'd come back as Alexa Von Tobel. Wow, the opportunities available and open to you are so exciting. I graduated college in 1996. I didn't know a single person who went to start his or her own company. You know, I became a consultant. The world has been blown wide open. But for the first time in history, these women are financially tied. And we all know that 80% of startups fail, be they founded by men or women, it doesn't matter. But the fact is, if any of these is the next guilt group, you know, valued at a billion dollars, if any of these makes it, these women all make it together. Historically, you know, women have always relied on each other, right? We've done this, but we haven't been financially tied. It hasn't sort of come into the realm of money, and now it is in a really productive way. Women are now using the same skills that we've previously applied to other endeavors, be they the Girl Scouts or the carpool or the PTA. You know, it's collaborative. You know, I have three little boys, right? It's, I'll drop your kid off Monday, you pick up mine on Thursday. This is what we do, we carry the family ties. Women are now applying that same collaboration in business. You know, fortunately, after 40 years of women in the workforce, there's enough room for women to breathe. You're not sort of the only token. And again, we're realizing this is so much easier to do together than apart. These women are providing information, intel, guidance, insight. They are expanding each other's horizons and increasing each other's spheres of influence. And as a result of their stiletto networks, they are now on the forefront of innovation and ideas. They are tapped in to all these different industries. And they are creating new companies. And it's, there's, it's not just that. There's more. <laughs> because what's really exciting about this story is that it's actually not confined to business that this is, remember when I said this is women changing the world? It's also infiltrated the realms of philanthropy and politics. And I'll tell you a funny story. So when I, um, when I started my research for this, I got a lot of pushback from women, even very senior executive women, because I was asking what is essentially a really yucky question I was asking women to quantify the value of their friendships. And they were pushing back on me and saying, oh my gosh, no, I love her. She's my, like, she's my dearest friend. We've counseled each other through marriage, birth, you know, death, in some cases, divorce. Like, I, I didn't open that door for her expecting something back. I didn't put a dollar in the relationship bank expecting to withdraw it someday. I did this because I believe in her, because she's a superstar, because I'm behind her. And what I was seeing is these women gush about their girlfriends, you know, people who had supported them in every area of life. The relationships themselves are not transactional, even though they have resulted in a massive money trail. But because those relationships are not transactional, 
In addition to business, they're also doing really other interesting things. So when the women get together, they're not just sort of you know, talking about business and leaving the room. They're talking about their kids and their lives and the causes they hold dear. And they're saying to each other, come join my table. I just joined the board of this organization. You're going to love it. And by the way, like my other secret mission is to get you involved because you have the acumen, you have the business knowledge that we need to overhaul this nonprofit. The, the mission is phenomenal, but maybe they don't have the right team. I'm going to get my girls and we're, we're going to fix this. They're fixing communities. They're fixing schools. I talked about the Red Cross. They're overhauling the Girl Scouts, the Red Cross. Inside all of these big organizations and smaller ones too are all these little stiletto networks. But they're businesswomen. The other thing that's happening in sort of the nonprofit arena, which is really interesting, is that for the first time, I think women are figuring out something men have always known, which is that if you join some of these organizations it, and you write the checks that make people stand up and take notice, you are joining a coterie of people who can then later possibly be helpful to you in business. Again, it's not always the intention. It's not like women are joining, you know, want to help the Girl Scouts because they're thinking about what I can get for me. But there's an amazing residual thing happening, which is that women are realizing in business and nonprofits, by joining boards, by doing good, one hand washes the other. Women meet other women or men on these boards they realize that they are united by shared values and ethics and interests, that they want to make the world a better place and they'd like to do it together. They work together on social issues, economic issues, you know, environmental issues, whatever your passion is. And they suss each other out. Is this someone I trust? Is this someone whose style I enjoy? Is this somebody I want to build a relationship with? Well, those relationships manifest in the business world as well. It's another filter. It's another way to get to know people. You know, people think about networking, you know, and especially, you know, many people think about networking in sort of a cheesy way, right? That it's walking into a room of 200 strangers with your hello my name tag, you know, hello my name is tag on, right? And, have, and passing out business cards. But this is networking in terms of building really deep relationships pe with people. Relationships that go to the distance. Relationships that help you in every area of life. And that's what these women are doing for each other. But there's this huge trickle down, which is that women are also saying to each other, you know, let's rally behind this candidate. Our voice matters. You know, like, let's make ourselves heard. How can we do this? Women are changing the world. I have also charted billions of dollars, oh, sorry, not billions of dollars, unprecedented amounts of self-made women's wealth channeled uh, toward nonprofits that benefit women and girls and toward political candidates who represent our interests. Women are changing the world. And so, I, in building this, in discovering this, because for me, this was a hugely personal story and, and a great story of discovery. Because when I started this, again, I really didn't know what was happening in the world. It was a hunch. I didn't have a thesis when I started. But I kept thinking, this has changed my life, my personal and professional life, so much for the better, both in terms of how I see myself, how I see my future, what I think I can do. You know, I've met all these women who are like mothers and sisters and, you know, mentors to me, who encouraged me through this book process when it wasn't always easy, when I had tons of rejections. 
getting the proposal, when the proposal was panned. And I said, wait a second, how can I find the through line? Because if this has helped me so much, maybe if I can figure out what all these groups have in common, wouldn't it be great to not only identify what we now know is a powerful nationwide movement, but also to catalyze it, to get other women out there doing this thing? Because when I talked to a lot of these women, I was actually blown away, and I started out a little bit skeptical. I was really surprised, because so many of the women I talked to, like very high-powered women, were using words, and I say this in the introduction, words unheard in business, words reserved for love, to describe their groups. They were calling them destined and fated and life-changing and meant to be. They, I mean, again, going overboard, gushing about their girlfriends. And I said, wow, look, this is really powerful on so many levels, not just as an economic force, but as a social and cultural force, too. How do we get other people doing it? The other thing I heard a lot, um, because, again, I'm, I'm a journalist, and I wanted to prove that this was a story not just about women talking, but about women doing. I was following the money. But people said to me, you know, is this just, you know, a couple of senior executives consolidating their power? And I said, no, because these groups exist among all women in all industries and all age groups, that means anyone can do it. So anyone can do it. I want this to be really, really practical for you guys, and I'm going to sort of tell you how, some of the tips. So what I found was this is totally organic and deceptively easy. Usually it begins like this. Two women turn to each other and say, oh my gosh, we're so busy. You know? And they say, you know, we work so hard during the day, we run home to take care of our families or you know, our activities, whatever we have to do at night. Friendship has fallen by the wayside. Some of you are in the workforce, some of you will get out in the workforce, but you'll see like your time. You can't hang out with your friends as much. And so they say, wouldn't it be great to meet other smart, dynamic, motivated women, you know, to, to sort of get insight? Like, is what I'm dealing with the same thing that she's dealing with, even though she works in a different field? Let's expand our horizons and increase our sphere of influence, even if they don't say it that way. Let's organize a dinner. So they organize a dinner, and each one of them brings to the table another woman. And by the way, like for the guys in the audience, all the guys should be doing this too because it's wildly effective and it really works, so it's not confined to women. Um, but they, they organize a dinner, and they bring people to the table that the other one doesn't know. And they all go out together, and they have so much fun, and they can realize they can learn from each other and help, from, help each other. And because they're in different fields, they all have different contacts. So, and they all have different frames of reference, so when they're trying to solve a problem, you know, five heads working, ten heads working, actually proves very effective. So really, anyone can do this. They have another dinner group, brings together women they don't know. The magic number seems to be ten. And the magic number seems to be ten because with ten people, it's diverse enough, it's, it, you know, it's, it's enough people who br bring broad experience, skills to the table, but it's still small and intimate enough that you can really get to know people on a deep level. Because then what you start to find is each woman sees opportunities for another woman before she sees it for herself. Or she said, you know, I remember the last time you were talking about this issue you were having with your technology. I just heard that come up again in my company. This is how we're solving it. They give each other strategies. 
So when you're assembling your group, you've got to think about diversity. You know, the most effective groups bring together women from, or men, from different spheres. You know, it can't just be a cabal of best buddies, and it shouldn't be all employees from the same firm. You want some diversity. But when you're thinking about diversity, you also have to balance that with a filter for relevance and shared experience. So you can't really pair a CEO with a 20-something because then it's going to be a mentorship. And this is really meant to be sort of peer-to-peer -peer interaction. People who, when they're having an issue, can bring it to the table in sort of a safe way, and they can help each other script sometimes those difficult conversations about maybe promotion or compensation. Say, you know, how did you deal with this? Here are my strategies. So what I found is most of the groups are diverse, but there's a filter for shared experience or level. They bring together women usually around the same age or level of seniority at work. The next one is, and this is going to sound a little bit Pollyanna, but believe in the magic. None of the groups I found had some agenda to right the wrongs of oppression. They weren't trying to increase the number of women in the C-suite, and they didn't try to increase the number of women on corporate boards. They were just trying to assemble women who were kind, motivated, smart, engaged, and wanted to world, make the world a better place, and were open to helping others, who were generous of spirit. There's a real, there, there was a real, a real, real character test in most of these. They were trying to find their people. But, you know, Jerry Laybourne, who's the founder of Oxygen Media, who's in the book, said to me, she said, you know, women are so good at building relationships, we forget. People like to do business with people they like. You know, we're always busy dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. If you just get women together dining or drinking or walking or doing whatever activity suits you, because I did find a lot of groups that actually like they go walking together, they sort of, you know, dual purpose, that's women multitasking, right? <laughs> but amazing things will happen. I mentioned the most downloaded app in the history of Warner Brothers, right? When Kim Moses, a TV producer, assembled her group called The Vault in LA, that wasn't, you know, on her to-do list. She wasn't thinking, oh, this is my way to get to this goal. You know, I want to get the Guinness Book of World Records for something. She was just thinking, I'd like to understand other areas. I want to get smarter. I want to get better as a person, as a professional. Believe in the magic. It, I, I've seen it work again and again and again. The next one is have courage, give courage. Again, when you're following the money as a journalist and you're trying to prove that something is a very powerful nationwide trend, sometimes you gravitate toward the really big deals. So when some of the women said, is this just, you know, just for senior executives, I said, absolutely not. Some of the most powerful groups are groups that started when the women were young. Because then, as you sort of hit those roadblocks and you hit those things that might make you want to off-ramp or, you know, in, in modern parlance, lean back, you have friends saying, you're not alone, stick with it, you'll get through this. I know this is hard, here's how I dealt with it. You know, again, compensation, promotion, having kids. You know, having those other women, for me personally, who've counseled me through that stuff, I mean, it's been invaluable. And women who are 10 years ahead of me saying, it gets easier. Like, <laughs> don't leave, it'll get better. That, that really helps. And so many of the women who I talk to 
said that they weren't all you know, wealthy or accomplished when they started these groups. And they talked about the groups like they were their secrets to success. You know, this was the magic formula because they said that these women gave them courage and support and validation and sometimes in their darkest times when they really needed it. And they encouraged them and gave them the springboard to really be who they were meant to be in the world. Because they didn't just see each other or themselves as a job or a suit, they see each other as people. And they give each other tremendous courage to take great leaps, even when they're scared. Now this is about the role of technology. And this is kind of an interesting one. This is like the Saturn V rocket. I didn't want to use a computer. But, and this is, this is interesting because it's an intergenerational crowd here. And so I interviewed for the book women from their 20s to their 70s. And what I heard from the sort of elders is that, who are these kids who think they have a network just because they have like 5,000 friends on Facebook and they know a gazillion people on LinkedIn? That's not a network. These people don't care about them. They're not going to go to bat for them. You know, they're not thinking about them when, they're not th when the people aren't there. Like, having a network means reciprocating, it means giving, it means showing up. And all the groups I've found, even the most high-powered people who are so busy and time-constrained, they prioritize, just like the babes in Boyland, they prioritize these groups, they show up. Because to really build those bonds of trust and loyalty at the heart of these groups, you have to have some face-to-face. -face. You know, you have to sort of know what makes somebody tick and get them on a deeper level. You can't just shoot off an email. It's time spent together. That said, it doesn't require an enormous investment of time because of technology. Like 30 years ago, technology obviously has blown apart, you know, blown open our world in so many different ways, but 30 years ago, we defined our network by the people we saw every day. And our networks were much more closely tied to our organizations the places where we worked, the people we saw, right? But now, you know, I have people in my network all over the world who I feel really close to because I only see them maybe once, twice a year, but because we always keep each other in mind, we're emailing articles, this is what these groups do for each other. Even if they only meet up, you know, once a quarter or maybe twice a year, they constantly have each other in mind. They are sharing articles. Hey, I saw this the other day, I thought of you. I thought, you know, I thought I'd share this with our group. Or they, you know, retweet each other. They share each other's posts on Facebook. They are each other's, you know, they are the horns blasting out for all of their friends. Because I think, you know, and there are these wonderful men in the audience who might have this issue too, but I heard from women at so many different levels that they have a lot of trouble tooting their own horn. And I saw it firsthand because I'd go to these dinner groups and some women, like, they'd be talking about their background or their resume and the women would downplay it. I mean, these would be like rock stars in their industries. And then all of her friends would chime in and be like, pshaw, who are you? That's crazy. Let me tell you about the 10 things like she's so amazing at. And she's not only a phenomenal woman, and she's not only running this company, but she's an amazing mother. And let me tell you, it, it was overwhelming to hear these women brag and boast about their friends. This is what they do for each other out in the world. When you, it's kind of hard to brag and boast about yourself, but when you have like nine other people telling everybody that you are the hot stuff, that is really valuable. And technology facilitates that. Another thing they do, which we were talking about before, is that they, um, they ensure that each of one of them becomes visible and a visible leader. And how do they do that? If, they're, if they are invited to speak on a panel and they can't, 
Or if there are more spots, who do they recommend? Well, the ladies in their group. Or if a journalist calls you know, with a question for an article and they can't answer it, but they think, or, or maybe they're going to be a source, but the journalist is looking for somebody else, who else do they find? Well, another woman. 2012 was the year of the woman, right? The election, where women were going to change, you know, decide the election. And yet, less, even on election-related issues, female sources, female, you know, women attributed in the mainstream media were less than 20%. Less than 20% of all sources quoted in the mainstream media were women. Women's voices, and, I, you know, and I'm conscious of this. It's very interesting, because I write a lot of articles, and I have women in my articles as sources, but just because they happen to be in my network. I'm not doing this in an agenda-based way. I'm writing articles because I'm a journalist and I want to get the best information. But now, because I have all these women and women leaders, like I know who to tap. I don't think there's ever been some sort of male conspiracy to keep women out. And I could never have written a book called like The End of Men because I have three boys. Like I love men, you know? I went to a co-ed school. I worked with all guys in my previous career. I love guys. I think everybody should work together. But I happened to discover this tremendous story of female support, women moving each other forward in every area of life. So the next one is, is go away together, if possible. Some of the most effective groups I've found are, you know, women go away for a weekend. And it's not easy. There's, um, and again, I'll tell you a funny story. This is, uh, if I have time, you can give me the hook if I can. <laughs> okay, almost the hook. Um, you know, there's a woman, uh, a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley named Sylvia Fernandez. And she talked about... Um, her, she talked about one of her best friends when they were, she said, we were 27-year-old vice presidents, you know, in an investment bank. She's like, we were promoted before we should have. We, we turned to each other, like, she was my person where I could say to her, like, I know I should understand this, but I don't. Like, and there was one day, like, and I, I'm actually wearing stockings today, but, like, really, people don't wear stockings so much anymore. So she's like, okay, I'm dating myself even by referring to this. And she called them hoes, too. So I was like, no, you're really old. So she's like... She said, though, she had a huge run in her stocking, and she had to go visit clients with her CEO. It would have been, I mean, now it's not that big of a deal, but then, 20 years ago, it would have been a huge distraction, if not viewed as totally unprofessional. And they went to the bathroom together, and she's like, you know, Mary, my friend, Mary stripped down for the swap, you know? <laughs> And she said, you know, and so Mary walked around the office all day unkempt, and, and Sylvia had, you know, and went to the meeting. But the fact is, she said, you know, when I talk to groups of women, I now tell them, you need that person you can share your pantyhose with. You know, and it's not about pantyhose. It's about, like, bearing your soul. The people who say, like, these are the stupid questions. I mean, they're not stupid. Everybody has them. But it's the people you can admit it to who are going to then make you better and give you courage. That happens when they go away together. Sylvia has that group. Another group I talk about in the book, it's the last chapter, it's called Belizean Grove. It, is, it was, until I wrote about them in the Times, a secret society of 150 of the world's most accomplished women across a variety of fields. But they say it's not a network and it's not a think tank, they call it a sisterhood. And they are all committed to helping each other in every way and making the world a better place. They go away together every year over Super Bowl weekend. And they help not only each other, but they also have a, a younger members group in their 30s and 40s called the Taras, Today's Already Rising Achievers. There are all these women quietly helping each other all over the globe. And the last one 
is, of course, play with boys. Because I cannot say enough, you know, we all know the statistics. You know, men are still 97% of CEOs, 85% of corporate board seats. None of the women I talked to, and this is what was so refreshing for me, you know, I mean, I come from a place of like, we're all equal, and, um, but none of them were male bashing. They just realized that women are different in certain ways, we need help in other ways, and it really helps to rely on our girlfriends. But we can't sequester ourselves into some like cul-de-sac of feminine support, because that's just not a reality. So I think playing with boys, and by the way, a special thank you to all the men in the audience, because <laughs> hopefully you should get out there and do this too, then you'll have a strategic advantage over all of your male counterparts. <laughs> so thank you very much.